Warning, this podcast episode contains swearing, drinking, mentions of cannibalism, violence, and the coronavirus. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Demons and Bellinis, the podcast where we whip up a drink and talk about some spooky shit. I'm the fourth Sanderson sister, Molly. And I've been dead for 175 slutty, slutty years. Ashley. <laughs> this week we'll be discussing another local location, the Island of the Deadmen, commonly known as Deadman's Island, located in Coal Harbor, Vancouver. So, Ooh. it's been a while. You know, that's all catch up. Grab a beverage of your choosing, get cozy, and check your closets for colonialism. And remember (laughs) to stay peachy. know it's been a second um you know we just had a time in october (laughs) you know things just happen and close to the spring semester like kind of around january uh you know the lap the laptop that i had that was held together by tape it broke big surprise so (laughs) was not able to record but now we are kind of up and operating so that's cool kind of and yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of we're not... free time now. Mm-hmm. Which we're we're not doing this in person though, so Yeah, don't worry. We are we are far away from each other. Several kilometers in Still... fact. Aw. One whole mountain. One whole mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so Oh jeez. Um, anything new with you, Ashley? Um, that's it. Anything new with you? Um, honestly, I can't think of anything because it's been so long. Um, I've grown my hair out. (laughs) Oh, that's sexy. I have, like, a really gross straight hair mullet right now, so. Yeah. So, like, I guess the art that we have currently... Upon these is not reflective of our actual hairstyles anymore, oh, which shit. is kind of sad. But that's okay. It's okay. Change is good. Change is good. Okay, so this episode idea was originally supposed to be around Halloween, and so it, it kind of deals with some. I'm going to be talking about some horror movie tropes, but it's kind of always relevant to talk about horror movies. You know? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, horror is just like a year-round sexy kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's never too late or early in the year to get just down by a ghost. That's what I All always right. say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird to do over call, I must say. So it is apologies it's... if we kind of have some weird vibes today. That's just it's, how it we're, is. We're lacking, we're lacking eye contact and being able to, like, touch each other and roll <laughs> on the floor. And, I mean, that's just, you know, at least yeah. once every few episodes, I somehow end up on the floor. Yeah. I can't explain it, but I can showcase it. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You just have like <laughs> that very distant thump sound, and you know yeah. that she's just hit the ground. I mean, I can punch my desk. You could punch your desk. Oh, that was really loud. <laughs> I have a different desk, so hopefully it doesn't creak as much, but I mean, I still have the same chair that creaks. Oh, I love the creaky chair. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, we love a good creaky chair. Mm-hmm. Creaking up my backside. All right, so what are we talking about today? <laughs> okay, so we're talking about Deadman's Island, which I have a note here because I had pre-written this back in October mm-hmm. that <clears throat> this was inspired by my dear friend Kelly, shout out to Kelly, mm-hmm. who was asking me if I knew any, like, I guess, like, urban legends or ghost stories in the local area. Nice, nice. And I had heard about Deadman's Island before. Like, I had heard it kind of <clears> through, like, the Google... Through the Google. Through the Google. I, I think I'd even, like... S- I think I'd even seen it on Pinterest. Oh. You know, so I had, like, kind of had it in the books for a future episode, but I hadn't really done, like, a whole lot of research on it. Right. So, anyway, I looked into a little bit and decided, yes, this is something I would really like to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, here we are. I know, like, a little bit about it. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin your, like, thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. So, um... Trees. I know something, but there's something to trees, right? Kind of, yeah. Cool. There are trees. (laughs) Unless I'm thinking of the wrong island. No, 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 no. You are thinking about the right island, because I know that picture where, like, you have, like, the black and and white, and you have, like, those big trees coming up. Right. No, they did something with the trees, though, right? They did do something with the trees. Cool, But it's not, like, a a big part about it. Okay. Um, I just remember it because it sounded cool. (laughs) And... I had, like, had all this stuff pre-written, and I kind of written down that it's a little bit reminiscent of Pavalia Island in some ways. Oh. But, you know, we also have to handle it a little bit carefully, because... Isn't that the climate fitting is now. for right now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all I, ca- that I, can't, fun. I can't wait to be sent off to some island somewhere. Yeah. You know? I... <clears throat> Like Animal Crossing style? <laughs> no, just like punt me onto the island. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I don't need to be by society anymore. I just want to get like, just... We have moved just, past the yeah. need for Molly and Ashley in society. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> and um, we also need to handle this a little bit more carefully because... You know, while Pavalia Island is just, like, you know, someplace in near Venice, you know, that's not necessarily, like, colonial territory. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, it's I guess it's just kind of different from, like, you know, being in North America than it is in Europe. But Yeah, there's a different context and there's oh, yeah. a different, like, you know, it still is, like, you know, land grabs or something, but there's yeah. a difference between, like... yeah. It's not what happened in Canada versus what happened over there. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. It's definitely not in recent memory like it is in Canada. So, anyway, um, Deadman's Island is... Sorry, it's really weird talking. Sorry, sorry. It is, yeah. It's really... It's so funny talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley's profile picture is... Would you like to describe your profile picture on Discord right now, Ashley? Do you want me to describe yes. my profile yeah. picture? I would very much like you to describe your profile <laughs> All picture. All right, okay. Well, I was telling you about the terror before we started recording, and 
and like that's my thing right now. I really mm-hmm. like the terror, and the terror is about a whole bunch of dudes who were part of the Royal British Navy in the early chunk of the 1800s, and they went north in the Arctic, and they're like, oh, we're gonna find the Northwest Passage, but the only thing that they found was death. Oh, oh, is that, like, the one where, like, they ended up having to, like, cannibalize each other? Yeah. And, like, yeah, 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 okay, <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know this story. So my- I've seen it. I've, I've seen YouTube videos on this. You so you would like the, the actual show, then, because it's sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my profile oh, yeah. picture is James Fitzjames. He's my uh, historical crush. I love him. We Another love Fitz. We love one colonizer. One. <laughs> Actually, no. I'm not going to agree with that. Sorry. Because <laughs> we do that's probably, that's probably the wrong word to describe him. He was more of just yeah. Like, he he. I'm reading his biography, and like he didn't really care. He just ah. kind of hung out and like yeah. did drag at one point, and he oh, was here nice. for a good time, not a long time. So clearly. <laughs> Shit. I'm just wheezing. <laughs> I'll probably I'm gonna end up talking more about the subject a little bit more in my episode, so I'm gonna shut up and just let you talk. <laughs> it, is, it is okay. So. <laughs> anyway, you know, um, this island is a little bit reminiscent of Pavalia Island. But we have to handle that carefully because, you know, this is the unceded territory of the Squamish and Musqueam people. Mm-hmm. I believe it's currently considered Musqueam, but, you know, I, I land, uh, uses of land, especially in, like, the coastal, sh- the, the Coast Salish region is not really, like, boundary-based. Like, it's just kind of, like, used, like, used-based. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they both used it and they yeah. both have claim on it, so... You know, all that complicated stuff, but it's important to know. So, um, mm-hmm. I'm first going to go over, like, the research that I could find on the interwebs, and then I'm going to read uh, a section from Legends of Vancouver by E. Pauline Johnson, who I think I've mentioned before in a previous episode, but basically... Oh, I know her, really I know cool... her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, when I was actually writing all this stuff, I was in a course all about, like, Victorian literature, and we even talked about her, which was super cool. Sexy. But she's this really cool Mohawk, Métis, meaning that she's half Indigenous, half white. Mm-hmm. Um, she was this Victorian lady who recorded some oral histories that were uh, told to her by uh, Chief Joe Capilano. Mm. And it was actually, uh, like, her book, Legends of Vancouver, was actually out of print for a good while, but now you can find it pretty accessible on the, like, it's pretty accessible on the internet. Mm -hmm. You can order it from Amazon and stuff, but it's also available for free on the Project Gutenberg website, which, big love, Project Gutenberg. It's great for finding various things. I don't know, have you used it? Uh, not that I can recall. Yeah, I don't know. It's often, like the places where I find all these old texts, usually for English classes. So that's great. Mm. And, you know, if you're a local in the lower mainland area, I definitely recommend reading a little bit of Legends of Vancouver because it's a pretty interesting read. So, Mm. you know. 
Book recommendations. Yep. Desmond's Island is located just off of the northeastern shore of Stanley Park. The Squamish name for it, which I can try to pronounce, I'm not going to be good at it because I'm not a native Squamish speaker, and there wasn't a lot of resources online that I could find, is um, mm. a squitsex. Which I would recommend, definitely, like, if you are interested, going on YouTube and listening to some native Squamish speakers, because the language is just very beautiful. I don't know. Mm. I, I super duper love it. It was, like, something that I grew up with when I was in Abed and stuff. So, yeah. I love I, I I like listening to it a lot, and I'm very sad that I butchered it like that. So it's okay. Uh, the Stanley Park area is the traditional territory of a few different coastal indigenous people, and mm. archaeological evidence suggests that suggests uh, human presence dating back to more than three thousand years. Oh, that's cool. Uh, as I said, the Squamish Nation had a large village in the park, which I believe is called Squaitsque, uh, which translates to place of the masks. Mm. And is located nearby where Lumberman's Arch currently is. And uh, the Musqueam often use uh, the natural resources there, do fishing, whatnot. Uh, there was also a settlement called um, Shethos, which translates to High Bank, which is near Prospect Point. Both of these uh, settlements were occupied up until they were forcefully moved in 1888 when the city built a road around the park, which you can now drive through. So... That's great. We love that. Yeah. Wait, is it is it is it open now? Because I know it closed for a little bit. I'm not in, like, sure, March. but yeah, I don't know. That'd be a good thing to look up. <laughs> I mean, when everything is safe, you can go drive around or walk around it. Yeah. But <laughs> don't be like those like dumbasses who are just like, oh, it's sunny. I need to go to the beach. Like, I mean, if you do at least stay the six-foot distance from each other, you know? Yeah. My dad was on a trail the other day, and some biker, like, put his arm up to, like, prevent my dad from, like, doing the six-foot distance. And it's like, (laughs) come on. That kind of defeats the point if you're trying to touch people. Well, the person was (laughs) a f***ing idiot, which is great for my dad, who is, I mean, like, his lungs aren't that great. So. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I'm just gonna beat people up if they get too close to me. Yeah, 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 exactly. But the, wouldn't that defeat the point? And not if I'm like wearing personal protection. Yeah, always use protection. Yeah, yeah. In any given situation, but especially now. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm gonna make a face mask, but it's all condom. <laughs> That sounds disgusting. <laughs> that does sound disgusting. Ew. Uh, yeah, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, I shouldn't be laughing, but for those of you who aren't aware, you know, Stanley Park doesn't have the best history. Just gonna say, like, I mean, no. outside of several <laughs> murders that have occurred in the area, several bodies that have been discovered there, it's also, you know, unceded territory. Oh, yeah, didn't they find, like... Yeah. Some dead kids yep. in there. And, you know, <laughs> when Vancouver sectioned it off as a park, they had to remove several people from it. So that's great. We love that. We love Canada. We love Vancouver. We love colonialism. Mm. <laughs> it's great. Okay, so the settler history with um, Island of the Dead Men began in the 1860s 
when the island was offered up to Samuel Brighouse mm-hmm. by the government and one of his business partners. You say partners, business partners? And one of his business partners, shut up, <laughs> and one of his business partners, John Morton. They rode over to the island to scope out the area. When he arrived, he spotted several red cedar bo- cedar wood boxes perched up on the branches above him. Oh. When he reached up to touch one, it broke above him, showering human bones onto the ground. <gasps> so, the trope I'm going to be talking about today, which we see a lot in urban legends, going to use some quotes here, the Indian burial ground. Ooh. So, I'd like to read... Uh, read you this quick quote from this article from the New Republic titled The Suburban Horror of the Indian Burial Ground. Okay, so the narrative of the haunted Indian burial ground hides a certain anxiety about the land on which Americans, specifically white middle-class Americans, live. Embedded deep in the idea of home ownership, the holy grail of American middle-class life is the idea that we don't, in fact, own the land we've just bought. Time and time again, these stories Perfectly average, innocent American families are confronted by ghosts who have preserved for centuries, who remain vengeful for the damage done. Facing these ghosts and expelling them, in many of these horror stories, becomes a means of refighting the Indian wars of past centuries. End quote. Ooh. I actually have never thought of it like that. Yeah, so food (laughs) for thought there. Because, like, you see that a lot. Yeah. And, like, it kind of makes me think of... Mm -hmm. return to our trusty old ghost adventures whenever they you know go (laughs) to a place that has that kind of history they do bring it up Mm -hmm. and yeah at first you know sometimes it could be a little like uh you know Mm -hmm. easy there bucko (laughs) but I, i do like respect that they at least acknowledge it um mm-hmm. it'd be bad if they immediately went with, with like it's yeah. bad it's bad it's strange it's eerie it's ooh, yeah. you know but they at least bring it up and they oh, acknowledge yeah, totally. like oh yeah like especially with the locations where there was like a lot of death mm-hmm. in terms of um colonialism or death related to colonialism they bring that up and it's like that could be a reason why they would be upset now oh yeah spirits. totally yeah so at least i respect that now it's just and then when we think of it in terms of that quote, it's kind of interesting how that continues to play out in real life with the paranormal world. Oh, yeah, totally. And how people talk about that, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I guess in, like, real-life paranormal scenarios, it totally makes sense why, you know, a bunch of spirits whose whose final resting place has been desecrated. Right. Like, it makes total sense why they would be really upset but it's i think it's just really interesting I yes guess, in horror stories and horror movies that there seems to be like i guess this inherent like evilness to the idea of like a burial yeah. ground mm-hmm. whereas like in the real world it's like this is a resting place you know you don't want someone coming into your room and like throwing your shit around and stealing your stuff while you're trying to sleep you wouldn't want that when you're dead too. oh yeah totally like i mean it's just become such like a common trope like i honestly think that i like remember seeing on like some sort of like disney channel related tv show when i was a kid oh no it was like someone had a locker <laughs> and they were like the locker was built upon an ancient burial ground and it was just like oh my <laughs> just god like specifically this locker yeah like it's it like... was it was a joke obviously but it's just 
I, I guess. It's become a joke. Yeah. It's like so tropey, it's a joke now. Mm-hmm. Which sucks. Yeah, I really think that we need to... Because it's not. <laughs> ...examine our relationship with that trope. See, I guess, where that stems from and what kind of consequences it may have. Yeah, and I mean, if if you are going to use it too in storytelling, I think it needs to be a discussion or, like, mm-hmm. just smart about it. Or, like, at least just, like, do at least the bare minimum that, like ghost adventures does where they're like yeah this happened this might be mm-hmm. a factor in the current haunting yeah cool <laughs> you know <laughs> instead of being like <gasps> yeah, 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 exactly. you know <laughs> like it just kind of sucks that these spirits are being demonized in such a way like mm-hmm. I, I don't know i've never really seen vengeful spirits in that way i guess as a malicious thing i mean they are obviously malicious but i think they have reason to be malicious like that's oh yeah and i think a lot of that in terms of like a spirit being vengeful i think a lot of that comes from something that happened probably while they were living or you know maybe how they died but not necessarily like something that happened afterwards if that makes sense Mm. like i always view it as some like if something happened to you and you never got to be you never were able to resolve it Mm -hmm. i always saw like as a kid that's how you become a ghost is like if something bad happens to you and you can't resolve it mm-hmm. so you're stuck here yeah because you're holding on to this thing mm-hmm. but i mean who heckin knows yeah it's definitely <laughs> a discussion that needs to happen needs to be addressed i don't think that there's a real answer i guess to it but it's just something that we should continue having some dialogue about especially in oh, yeah. modern horror right Okay, so I guess kind of shifting back to the island, uh, according to Wikipedia, the island was used by the settlers as a cemetery prior prior to the opening of Mountain View Cemetery in 1887, which is now the oldest mm. Vancouver-based cemetery. Mm-hmm. Uh, this included the mm-hmm. victims of the Great Fire in 1886, as well as the, the bodies of those who cannot afford a proper burial rite. An early Vancouverite... Uh, oh, Popper's Grave. Yes, Popper's Grave. An early Vancouverite. So wait, wait. Yes. Can I ask a question? Of course. So just to clarify, so the island was used as the cemetery before the Mountain View one? Yes. Okay. So they did they just see, like, the, the people were already using that land as, like, a burial ground, and then they just went, cool. Yeah. And, like, did that too? Yeah, they were just like, this is a very convenient place to put all these bodies Especially when you have, like, right. the Great Fire and Popper's mm. Grave. It was kind of like, okay, we have all these bodies that we don't really know what to do with. Let's just put them over here, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, again, a little spicy for today's climate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, an early thing. Sorry, I'm laughing okay. because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's a very uncomfortable topic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like... Yeah, you know, living it's through the kind these of thing. times with, as yeah. someone who has a lot of anxiety. It's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, so- it's like, like for me, like from an aspiring historian kind of point of view, it's really weird. Like, because I know that it's a historical event and I know what, it, how, like, 
this is going to be perceived in a way like I know that like what I would look for if I was looking at this event 50 years 100 years 200 years in the future kind of thing right Mm -hmm. so for me like watching all of this it's really weird yeah and like I've been taking notes and stuff and like just kind of keeping my eye on things and like what's happening in the world because it's like there's going to be things that are happening right now that people are going to make sure don't get remembered right Mm -hmm. like the things that would make you look bad or the things that um seem unimportant but they really were Mm -hmm. or you know those kinds of things so it's just really like I find it really stressful and uncomfortable but also I think having my history background makes me able to deal with it a little better because I can get really objective about it and be like okay here's what's happening here's what I think will happen here's like why I would suggest that kind of thing instead of being like oh my god oh my god oh my god you know I can like keep it together (laughs) but it's just it's all so weird and it Mm -hmm. sucks and I love history but I don't like living through it (laughs) yeah no one really wants to live through interesting times as they say I swear to god if I get if I get one more email from like another corporation oh or my brand God. that's like we're here for you in this unprecedented time spend like, no $20 shit. and no get shit is 10% off <laughs> like <laughs> I'm gonna eat the yeah. next email I get don't ask me how but I'm going to yeah. did you hear that like uh what was his name Jeff Bezos Amazon boy he's he a trillionaire like, now yeah he's a trillionaire now I'm literally going to eat him alive. So, like, where's Monsieur Guillotine? (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) Yeah. And and let's not not talk anymore about the current political situation. (laughs) Is it even political? I mean, it it is. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's just kind of, I, I feel like it encompasses... It encompasses everything. It does. Yeah. 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 Except for my ass. It it encompassed mine for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that sucks for you. It did. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. to you, but I'm different. Shit. Shit. Okay, so, I can finally read this quote that I have had. So, read your damn quote. Right? I'm trying to. <laughs> An early Vancouverite, Harold Ridley, described the island during this period as the little collection of graves was not a cemetery, just little graves beneath the trees, with a little fence of sharp pointed split cedar pickets and a headboard. Over time, the names became obliterated by the weather, and grass grew tall and went to seed. And that sounds kind of cute. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, totally a place that I want to hang out, right? Oh, I would hang out there. I love a good cemetery. I love a good cemetery. But this one sounds cute because it's got, like, the little picket fence. You know, when people say, like, oh, yeah. I want a picket fence in the future, that's, you know, th- that's what I want. That's what I'm talking about when I <laughs> picket fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want my grave to be surrounded by cedar 
because I, I, I just really like cedar, you know? I just want to be thrown into it the ocean. It's really nice. You can do that. You can do that. You can do, like, casket burials. No, just... In the ocean. No, don't even put my yeah, body like, in anything. Just throw my body into the ocean. Whatever happens, happens. I don't think that's legally allowed. <laughs> I will make it legally allowed. You will float, Ashley. You will get caught in a fishing net. If it's meant to be, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. In the 1890s, it was used as a quarantine space during the smallpox epidemic. It'd have been really weird if we did this in in October. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It's so yeah. weird right? now. It is. It is. Yeah. It does. It it did not seem close to home until everything went down. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, disease. <laughs> Like most quarantine spaces, if you died, you were buried on the island rather than in the newly opened Mountain View Cemetery. So, you know, it's like, if you don't get better, you never leave. Ooh. Right? Um, in 1899, the land was leased by the Dominion government to a man called Theodore Lund- Ludgate. Oh, he the fucks. intent of logging the area. <laughs> he fucked. <laughs> then conducting a sawmill. Though the land was leased by the federal government, the local government and the residents were heavily against this idea as they saw Deadman's Island as part of Stanley Park, belonging to the city rather than the federal government. Mm. Which is, I guess, kind of interesting. Like, I remember hearing this one story um, about this one park in Vancouver where um, they were going to build these docks there. Right. And a lot of hippies, like, just kind of, like, camped out on the beach saying no this is our beach Hmm. and they were like praised but then when you see indigenous groups doing this they're often criticized yeah like the Wet'suwet'en situation that happened oh yeah several several months back right that feels like that was five years ago it does it really does but it was like literally two months ago january february okay yeah it's wild. It is wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On April 24th, 1899, the local police force, as ordered by Mayor James Garden, arrested Lungate along with 30 to 50 of his men when they attempted to begin the tree cutting process. Again, we see the police supporting the Vancouverites yeah. rather than the indigenous people. Yeah. We love that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lungate took this to court and in 1911 won the case. Mm. He cleared the trees from the island but never built the sawmill due to cost-related issues. <laughs> uh, the lease continued up until 1930 um, and then he just never did anything. Like The island was just like clear but he didn't build anything. During World War II it was used as a small na- naval station and these days it's home to Vancouver's Naval Reserve D- Division and is gated and off-limits except to authorized personnel. I've also heard from Reddit that cadets will often train there if you're part of a, you know, like, local cadets. Yep. If your kids are. Don't know if you have kids. If you were as a kid, maybe you've been here. Well, no, um, the, is it still... move on to the phenomena. Is it still, like, that, that, that the building is still used, right? Like, it's a Navy thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I've been there, like, once. Uh, it was weird. Really? Yeah, it was, my dad was invited to an event there, and I went with them. Because he, oh, wild. someone in my dad's gym was like a naval person, 
And he was oh. like, oh, we're having a dinner. You can come. My dad was like, cool, sick. And I was like, can I come? Because I'd heard it was haunted. And, I, and then I went, and then I saw nothing and had food, free food. <laughs> was the food good? It was not good. Oh, that sucks. Oh. I mean, there's cheese. Cheese is good. Big fan of cheese. So we're going to go over the <laughs> phenomena that you could have potentially maybe experienced, but you didn't. So, according to the Daily mm-hmm. Hive, one can hear clanging, clanging noises, footsteps, screams, and the sound of a woman crying. Hmm. Um, also, according to the Daily Hive, the police stayed at the island overnight during uh, 1909 during, uh, during an incident involving the loggers and Lungate. They claimed that they heard bones clattering and shrieks throughout the night. Wait, like, wait, bones clattering? Yeah. Like, skeletons? Yeah. Like spooky, scary it's skeletons. A skeleton war. <laughs> On guard. <laughs> During more modern times, the members of the Vancouver Naval Reserve Division have reported the sounds of footsteps, furniture being moved, as well as orbs in the trees, and sometimes in humanoid shapes. Oh, so that's fun. We love some good ghost lights. Wait, would, uh, would they be like willow wisps since it's a burial ground, or possibly? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, ghost lights, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We love that. I always find, like, that kind of stuff specifically in a cemetery kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, for me personally, I don't usually think of cemeteries as a haunted mm-hmm. place. Just because I feel like you wouldn't necessarily... You would haunt... If you're going to be stuck here, you would go home or you would go to somewhere important mm-hmm. to you. You wouldn't necessarily stick around in a graveyard, but, I mean... Who knows? It could be like you're attached to your body or you're attached to something on your body, Mm -hmm. in your body. That dildo you really liked. Potentially. Are you implying that they'd be buried with their favorite dildo? (laughs) I mean, would you not? No. Listen. (laughs) You would leave that. You would leave that in your will for your loved ones. Okay. I want my body to compost in the earth and my dildo does not decompose. I don't. I mean, what if you got like an all natural one, like from? Whole well, that Foods? one's still not my favorite. One. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, like we're talking about the favorite dildo right now. We're not talking about a. Dildo. What if you had a wood one? That would decompose. It would. It. What about what if we got the crystal ones? Like, I mean, it wouldn't decompose, but it's still part of. The Wait, part. do you actually have a crystal one now? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Find you one for my birthday. <laughs> They're so expensive. They are. They are. Okay, wait. Like... Question. If a friend as yeah. a joke got you like a sex toy for your birthday, would you use it? Probably. I. <laughs> okay. So now I'm actually. <laughs> We're being respectful. We're being respectful. I actually have my copy of Legends of Vancouver with me right now. So. Oh, look at you. Yeah. (laughs) Sit back and relax while I read you the portion of E. Pauline Johnson's Legends of Vancouver, the chapter, Deadman's Island. So. The whole chapter? Yeah. It's a. Okay. I don't know how many stories are in here. I don't. This specific edition that I have doesn't actually have like contents. But basically, like, it, it, it's just, like, she um, reaccounts them in the dialogue and in the 
I guess setting the scene of when Chief Joe Capilano told her these stories. Mm. So if it seems a little bit out of context, it's because it is. Because, like, I mean, okay. kind of talk, <laughs> you know, about other stuff before. So. Okay. <clears throat> okay. For many minutes, we stood silently, leaning on the western rail of the bridge as we watched the sunset across that beautiful little basin of water known as Coal Harbor. I have always resented that jarring, unattractive name for many years ago. When I first plied paddle across the gunwale of a light little canoe and idled about its margin, I named the sheltered little cove the Lost Lagoon. This was to please my own fancy, for as that perfect summer month drifted on, the ever-restless tides left the harbor devoid of water at my favorite canoeing hour, and my pet idling place was lost for many days, hence my fancy to call it the Lost Lagoon. But the chief Indian Lake immediately adopted the name, at least when he spoke of the place to me, and, as we watched the sun slip behind the rim of firs, he expressed the wish that his dugout were here instead of lying beached at the farther side of the park. If the canoe is here, you and I, you and I, we paddle close to the shores all round your lost lagoon. We make track like like the half moon. Then we paddle under the bridge or, and go channel between Deadman's Island and the park. Then we round the cannon speak time at nine o'clock, then cross inlet to Indian side of Narrows. I turned to look eastward, following in fancy the course that he had sketched. The waters were still as the footsteps of the oncoming twilight and the floating pool of soft purple. Deadman's Island rested like a little circle of candle moss. Have you ever been on it? He asked as he caught my gaze centering on the regular outline of the island pines. I have prowled the length and depth of it, I told him, climbed over every rock on its shores and crept under every tangled growth of its interior, explored its overgrown trails, and more than once nearly got lost in its very heart. Yes, he half laughed. It, it, it pretty wild. Not much good for anything. People seem to think it's valuable, I said. There's a lot of lit litigation, a fighting going on now about it. Oh, that the way always, he said, as though speaking of a long accepted fact. Always fight over that place. Hundreds of years ago, they fight about it. Indian people. They say hundreds of years to come, everybody will still fight. Never be settled what that place is, who belong to, who has the right to it. No, never settle. Deadman's Island is always mean fight for someone. So the Indians fought amongst themselves about it, I remarked, seeming, seeming without guile, although my ears tingled for the legend I knew was coming. Fought like the lynx at close, at close quarters, he answered. Fought, killed each other, until the island ran with blood redder than that sunset, and the sea water around it was stained flame color. It was then, my people say, that the scarlet fire flower was first seen growing along its coast. It is a beautiful color, the fire flower, I said. It should be a fine color. For it was born and grew from the hearts of fine tribes people, very fine people, he emphasized. We crossed to the eastern rail of that bridge, and stood watching the deep shadows that gathered, slowly and silently, about the island. I seldom looked upon anything so peaceful. The chief sighed. We have no men now, no fighters like, the, like those men, no hearts, no courage like theirs, but I tell you the story, you understand it then. Now all peace, tonight, and all good till it comes. Even Deadman Spirit does not fight now. But long time after it happened, those spirits fought. And the legend, I ventured. Oh, yes, he replied, as if suddenly returning to the present about a far country in the realm of time. Indian people, they call it the legend of the island of dead men. There was war everywhere. 
Fierce tribes from the northern coast, savage tribes from the south, all met here and battled and raided, burned and captured and tortured and killed their enemies. The forest smoked with campfires. The narrows were choked with war canoes. And the Salgi tree, Tyree, he who, he who is a man of peace, turned his face away from his Indian children. About this island, there was dispute and connection. The medicine men from the north claimed that it was their chanting ground. The medicine men from the south laid equal claim to it. Each wanted it as the stronghold of their witchcraft, their magic. Great bands of these medicine men met on the small space, using every sorcery in their power to drive their opponents away. The witch doctors of the north made their camp on the northern rim of the island, and those from the south settled along the southern edge, looking towards what we now see, the great city of Vancouver. Both factions danced, chanted, burned their magic powders, built their magic fires, beat the magic rattles, but neither would give way, yet neither conquered. About them, on the waters, on the mainlands, raged the war, the warfare of their respective tribes. The Segli Tai had forgotten his Indian children. After many months, the warriors on both sides weakened. They say that the incantations of the rival medicine men were bewitching them, were making their hearts beat like children's, and their arms nerveless as women's. So friend and foe arose as one man drove the medicine men from their island, hounded them down the inlet, herded them through the narrows, and banished them out to sea where they took refuge on the islands outside the gulf. Then the tribes once more fell upon each other in battle. The warrior blood from the north will always conquer. They are stronger, bolder, more alert, more keen. The snows and the ice of their country make swifter pulse than the sleepy suns of the south can waken a man. Their muscles are of sterner stuff, their endurance greater. Yes, the northern, the northern tribes will always be visitors, but the craft and strategy of the southern tribes are hard things to battle against. While those north follow the medicine men further out to sea to make sure their banishment, those from the south return to under the cover of night and seize the women and children of the old and feebled men from in their enemy camps, transported them all to the island of the dead men, and there held them as captives. Their war canoes circled the island like a fortification through which drifted sobs of the imprisoned women and the mutters of the aged men and the wail of little children. Again and again, the men of the north assailed their, their circle of canoes, and again and again were repulsed. The air was thick with poisoned arrows, the water stained with blood. But day by day, their circle of southern canoes grew thinner and thinner. The northern arrows were telling truer of Ain. Canoes drifted everywhere, empty or worse still, manned only by dead men. The pick of the southern warriors had already fallen, where the greatest chief mounted a large rock on the eastern shore. Brave and unminded of thousand weapons aimed at his heart, he uplifted his hand, palm outward, this signal for conference. Instantly, every northern arrow was lowered, and every northern ear listened for his words. Oh, men of the upper coast, he said, you are more numerous than we are, your tribe larger, your endurance greater, we are growing hungry, we are growing less in numbers, our captives, your young women and children and old men have less than two, our stores of food. If he refers our terms... We will yet fight to the finish. Tomorrow we will kill all your captives before your eyes, so we can feed them no longer. Or you can have your wives, your mothers, your fathers, your children, by giving us for each and every one of them one of your best and bravest warriors, who will contest to suffer death in their steed. Speak, you have your choice. And the northern canoe's shores and shores of young warriors leapt to their feet. The air was filled with glad cries and exultant shouts. The whole world seemed to ring with the voices of these young men who called loudly and with glorious courage, Take me, but give me back my old father. Take me, but spare to my tribe my little sister. 
take me but release my wife and boy baby. So the compact was made. Two hundred heroic, magnificent young men paddled to the island and broke through the fortifying circles of canoes and stepped ashore. They flaunted their eagle plumes with the spirit and boldness of young gods. The shoulders were erect, their step was firm, their hearts strong. Into their canoes, they crowded the two hundred captives. Once more, the women sobbed, the old men wondered, the children wailed, but those young, copper-colored gods never flinched, never faltered. Their weak and feeble were saved. What mattered to them such a little thing as death? The released captives were quickly surrounded by their own people, but the flower of their splendid nation was at the hands of their enemies. Those valorous young men who thought so little of life that they willingly gladly laid it down to serve and save those they loved and cared for. Amongst them were war-tried warriors who had fought fifty blades and boys yet not fully grown, who were drawing a bowstring for the first time. But their hearts, their courage, their self-sacrifice were as one. Up before the long file of southerners' warriors, they stood. Their chins uplifted, their eyes defiant, their, their breasts bared. Each leaned forward and laid his weapons at his feet and stood erect with empty hands and lapped forth the challenge of, it, of the challenge to death. A thousand arrows ripped the air. Two hundred gallant north, north throats flung forth a dead cry, exultant, triumphant as conquering kings. And two hundred fearless northern hearts ceased to beat. But in the morning, the southern tribes found the spot where they fell peopled with flaming fire flowers. Dread terror seized amongst them. They abandoned the island, and when night again shrouded them, they manned their canoes and noiselessly slipped through the narrows, turned their boats southward, where the coastline knew them no more. What glorious men, I half whispered to the chief as he concluded this strange legend. Yes, men, he echoed. The white people call it Deadman's Island. That is their way, but we of the Squamish call it Island of Deadmen. The clustered pines and the outlines of the island's margin were now dusky and indistinct. Peace, peace, lay over the waters, and the purple of the summer twilight had turned to grey. But I knew that in the depths of the undergrowth on Deadman's Island were blossomed of flowers flaming beauty. Its colours were veiled in the coming nightfall, but somewhere down in the sanctuary of its petals pulsed the heart's blood of, of many and valiant men. And that's the end of that specific chapter. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, what did you think? I mean, it's interesting to, like, because for me, like, I mostly just know about, like, the basic history of it. So it's interesting to hear this kind of side to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that, like, I mean, like, I don't know. I was just saying that I think it's really interesting how Chief Joe Capilano talks about it as, like, kind of like a place where battles are fought. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that there's something, like, I guess so beautiful about all these, like, young men giving up their lives to save the people who they care about and all that beauty stemming Mm -hmm. from it. It kind of, like, makes it less scary and definitely humanizes it, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. I think it's also interesting the different names for this island as well, like Dead Man's Island versus Land of the Dead Man. Or Island of the Dead Men. Island of the Dead yeah. Men, yeah. That kind of stuck out to me as, like, just an interesting... You can definitely see, like, a culture difference there and, like, what is important and what gets left out kind of thing. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, to finish this episode off, I wanted to bring in another quote from a CBC article titled The Rise of Indigenous Horror, How a, Fiction- How a Fictional Genre is Confronting a Monstrous Reality. So I really recommend reading this article yourself because it's incredibly dense and is really good food for thought, especially if you're white. But here's a quote that I thought was extre- extremely relevant. In A Glossary of Haunting, Eve Tuck and C. Ree explain that American horror is preoccupied with the hero who is perfectly innocent, but who is assaulted by monstering or haunting just the same. With this in mind, it's particularly interesting to follow modern indigenous horror. If the creators of Western horror believe indigenous genocide only belongs in the national consciousness as a horror trope, the infamous Indian burial ground, which for the record show, be all this of this continent that the people often white haunted by our ancestors ghosts are innocent victims what do the what do the descendants of these ghosts fear what more is there to fear when you've already faced governments who have tried to for centuries to wipe you out who have used biological warfare and forced starvation to create an apocalypse for your people it's remarkable to consider that many non-indigenous horror writers depict the situations that indigenous people have already weathered such as apocalyptic viral outbreaks that decimate the whole populations, or the use of the history of genocidal violence against us to explain why innocent white folks are being haunted today, such as in Stephen King's, in Stephen King's um, Pet Cemetery, or the 1982 film Poltergeist. In fact, I'm not sure what scares non-Indigenous horror writers and readers more, experiencing variations of what Indigenous folks have already endured for centuries, or the reality that they built their entire country on the literal Indian burial grounds. I don't know. I just really love that quote, especially the way that it finishes off. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm I'm thinking. I mean, I can kind of agree with it, though. I don't always think that that's what writers are thinking about when they write horror. Now, this might just be like mm. a spicy take, but you know, when I write horror, I don't think about history. I just think about what is the story and what's happening in the story. Right. Mm. And like, sure, you know, there are always like these this stuff that's going on, you know, when it was written and stuff like that. It's just I mean, it is interesting and I can definitely see what you're saying. Um, and I do mm-hmm. think that there are certain tropes that need to be done away with. Mm-hmm. I just don't always know if it's the case with every single horror story, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, I don't think that's specifically targeting every single horror story. Mm-hmm. I think that it's more offering an alternative reading to these horror stories. I really like the idea about the, um, the idea of where like of zombie movies Mm. or of like pandemic situations Yeah, where, I mean, particularly not relevant right now, but they kind of talk about how it's something that the, the indigenous cult, the indigenous people have already experienced, you know? Yeah. And the idea of, I guess, being, left to your own means and being ignored by the government is also something that the people find pretty scary but that's also something that indigenous folks have already endured for centuries Mm -hmm. i'd also like to take this moment to read you the plaque that can be found uh in front of the guard's house city of vancouver deadman's island the name of the six acre island comes from its use as a burial ground by the salish indians Early settlers used it as a cemetery as a quarant- and as a quarantine area during the 1893 smallpox epidemic. In 1944, it became a naval station, HMCS Discovery, named after one of Captain Vancouver's ships. 
1886 asterisk there, a 1986. So, hmm. I don't know. That plaque doesn't really sit well with me. First of all, refers to the Salish people as Indians. Mm-hmm. And also, I think that it's kind of interesting that... Well, when was that plaque put on there? The 80s. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's that's the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, totally. I just think that it should be, like, replaced or corrected. Mm. I also think that it's kind of interesting that a ship that was docked there, that kind of, like, got its name from the area, was named after Captain Vancouver, who really f***ed over the indigenous people. So, you know... Again, full circle, just colonialists just f***ing over everyone. So that's the theme of this episode. That's the true horror. Canadian history, North American history, colonialist history. And that's that's all I have for you today. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it's always interesting when we do, like, local cases. It really kind of puts a lot, like, it makes you think more about where you are and your place oh, yeah, in totally. it kind of thing yeah do you have any final thoughts um no i mean you kind of uh, interesting start hopefully you know next episode won't <laughs> be as rocky <laughs> well hey that's our comeback episode Ooh. hopefully this will be out soonish and we can record more regularly in the future once i figure out how technology works hey. um oh my god what was what was our outro again? Did we have an outro? Stay PG. Oh yeah. Okay, so as always, stay safe, stay spooky, and stay peachy. Hey, bye. And then we do a bye thing. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and we hope that you enjoyed the episode. This episode features the voices of Molly Lorette and Ashley Smith. Our theme music was composed and produced by Larry Lorette. Our cover image was designed by Kate, and sound editing was done by Molly Lorette. Have any comments, concerns, or cases you want us to cover? Email us at demonsandbellinis at gmail.com. You can also find us at demonsandbellinis on Tumblr, demonsandbellinis on Instagram, and at demonsandbellinis on Twitter. That's capital D and capital B. You'll also be able to find case switchers tweeted there and posted to our Instagram. Also, if you like what we do here in this little corner of the internet, make sure you drop us a donation off at Coffee, which you can find us linked in the description box. Thanks again, and we hope that you keep your ears open. 